Hello everyone, we're back, and mostly in one piece, sans Dave. Anyway, this is UK Motor Talk, I'm Mike, hello. I am Jim, hello. I'm Graham, hello. And I hope you're all well. I will freely admit at this point that I've spent some of this week turning inside out, which has been most unpleasant. But what it has meant is I've had a bit of a chance to stop and watch some of the highlights from Goodwood. Just to clarify, is this a point where you said you were going to try and work from home? No, I worked from home yesterday. I did absolutely no work from home on Monday because I was too busy. I will dock your wages accordingly. Please do. That would make me feel much better about everything. Um, But anyway, I decided that uh, I would watch some of the Goodwood Revival, which had some, some spectacular spectacular crashes we never really like to see the cars crash but everyone kind of likes to see a crash assuming everyone's okay karen chandog wow he just he sort of erupted into flames and spat off the track didn't he that was pretty incredible did you see that yes i mean that's that was one of the most impressive 360s bit of car control yes. and then and then out he went so you saw the the initial shot of him getting out and you thought well, he's, he's got out of that a bit quickly and then when you saw what happened you think Oh, yes, I see why now. But it was, uh, yeah, that was a, a good old bit of control and um, could have been a lot worse, I think, if that had have, uh, carried on. So good work by the marshals, as always. Mm. Let's hope they can salvage some of that car. I mean, is it 50 million or thereabouts, that car's value? In a, in a, in a race where I think 12, 13, 250 GTO Ferraris, I mean, that's about a third of the total production in one race. So mm. if anything went wrong, it was going to go spectacularly and very expensively wrong. And uh, Cohen was, I think, very, very lucky. He was. And he got a burnt shoe, apparently. So they always said he was a hot shoe. but there <laughs> well, It didn't, uh, I mean, it, it didn't dampen his enthusiasm for anything. He was uh, he was back in and out in all sorts, wasn't he? And uh, there was quite a oh, few yeah. uh, big name, famous F1 drivers out and about in all sorts. Uh, Button seemed to be having a pretty good weekend of uh, of everything, didn't he? And then, uh, and then the rain came along later. So that made for a very expensive tyre barrier at one point didn't it that that was just mm. awful watching the uh, the repair bill mount up into that one jensen button was unbelievably busy behind the wheel of a, a, a little alpha that was incredible to watch especially when things got out of shape and just watching him try to claw it all back it really was thoroughly entertaining there was so much so much to see and it was the anniversary celebration of, of carol shelby wasn't it i understand graham that uh, you obviously were out there and you got to take a, a close-up look at a gt40 your name, sir? Peter Clute. Peter, we're standing beside your family car. Yes. Now, most people in this country will understand a family car is something you take to the supermarket, pick up the groceries, take the kids to school, etc., etc. I noticed you and both of your sons are named on this car, which is not your average Attention family panic. car. It's a Ford GT40 prototype. Right. How long have you owned this? Uh, probably about five years now and uh, just love racing it and uh, we went to Historic Le Mans for the first time this year so the two boys that raced back home said hey we'd like to come so we put all the names on and we all had a turn at it and just had a wonderful time. I think this is brilliant that you can actually share the driving of this. You, you comfortable with letting the lads drive it oh the, the one's a lot quicker than i am so i'm more than comfortable and <laughs> it's amazing we all slow down a little as we get older now prototype the early cars 
didn't race at Le Mans? Well, they tested at Le Mans. They had a lot of problems with aerodynamics. Then they tried a bunch of different things. They weren't very successful in the beginning, and then they just kept upgrading and upgrading the cars. And obviously, everybody knows how the story goes at the end. Well, I think we've all seen the film in the last yeah. couple of years, and a brilliant film. I'm told by one or two of the owners it's not perfectly authentic as far as some of the cars go, and the, the end sequence was the wrong car. Yeah. But this, I don't know whether this featured in the film, did it? I mean, this actual car didn't, but the cars, the original prototypes, did feature yeah. in the film. Yeah. Wonderful car. So you're out in it again a little bit later? Yeah, hopefully. we got a few repairs to make, and if it's all good, we'll be out this afternoon racing. I mean, it's brilliant, the celebration of Carol Shelby. I, I did interview Carol Shelby here, oh, God knows how many years ago now. Yeah. Uh, I think he only visited the once, but uh, I remember him very well. He was a very good interviewee. Oh, I bet. He had some stories, and he was uh, very charismatic and a uh, great person. I, I got to spend a little time with him as well, and it's fabulous. Great character. Yeah. Big man, big hat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, when you think about it in the grand scheme of motor racing, I don't think what he accomplished would ever be uh, uh, duplicated. The fact that he won as a driver in 59, won as a manufacturer with the Daytona Coupe in uh, 64, yeah. and then won again as a well, as a team owner with the uh, cars in 66. Yeah. Just unbelievable. It, it yeah. is, there's, there's really that sort of backstory you, you can only attribute yeah. to somebody like Enzo Ferrari but then of course he beat Enzo Ferrari he, he beat Enzo Ferrari and Enzo Ferrari was always the manufacturer I guess you could consider him the team owner but he well, never he won Le Mans as a driver overall yeah I mean he was a racer in his early days but in relatively minor racing. right not not compared to winning Le Mans overall yeah great character much missed yeah. thanks for your time pleasure anytime thank you very much thank you fine display of Bentleys here but the thing that has particularly attracted my eyes is uh, and I just saw the gentleman walk past me Mr. William Medcalf who's probably the well probably Europe's leading exponent of early Bentleys and uh, these are all 25s 24s and so on so we do the uh, 1923 to 1933 so the original 10-year production of uh, the original Bentleys what caught my eye particularly was powered by synthetic fuel is that something you've developed relatively recently, specifically for these cars? Well, it was a, a, a journey that started with my six-year-old daughter Charlotte, who's uh, over here, and um, on the way to on the way to school, uh, she commented on how um, bad for the environment our cars are and so on. And I thought, well, that's not a that's not a good start. So I went and did a bit of digging, and we found that synthetic fuel is made of from about eight different companies are currently doing it. So we uh, dug, dug into that and we found a German brand that is a green manufacturing process from end to end and their product, when you use it, it nets off as carbon neutral. So um, we are, well, what they are doing is using um, from the farming industry a biomass, then they're cracking water, taking the hydrogen and then the carbon capturing from the atmosphere. So uh, when you use it, it is petrol, it works exactly the same as petrol, but you're putting the carbon back in the atmosphere that you've taken out, so it nets off a zero. Which is, which is, I think, is the future of a historic motorsport. I know you have enormous capabilities in the factory and in the design. Did you have to do a lot of work to make them accept these fuels? Well, the good news is we've done absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So we've done all the testing, 
Uh, obviously, we uh, we've got involved um, helping uh, the company in developing the fuel and, and giving feedback. And so we've power runs on a rolling road. We've won races with it. We had a load of cars running at Le Mans and so on. And uh, yeah, this this stuff genuinely works. There is no different when you look at the tracers, air to fuel ratio, torque power uh, on the rolling road. It's absolutely spot on. So um, it's a real, genuine, credible solution. And uh, all they need is demand. If we can get the demand up then um, they can bring the price down, which would be great. So basically I came in here to talk about the past, and we ended up talking about the future. Well, it's all about using the past to write the future. So um, these cars here, these three in front of us here, we've got the 1923 Le Mans Bentley, the first Bentley and the first British car ever to run at Le Mans. We've got the 1924, the first Bentley to win at Le Mans, and the 1925, the uh, first works team car, and all three are running on fully synthetic fuel. Have you still got your own family car? I remember the story of that. Your dad driving you across America in it? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> indoctrinated into Bentley's at a tender age of five, uh, with 28,000 miles around America and Canada in nine months on the road with a with the family of five. So, uh, yeah, just been very lucky to be brought up around these cars. Um, still learning, but it's uh, it's all good fun. Great stuff. Thank you very much, William. Much appreciate. Pleasure. Thank you. Talking to Andrew Jordan, who's just literally climbed out of the Bizzarini, you're in one of the cars that has been the most successful here in recent years. What's it like to actually drive, apart from very hot today? Hot and hard work. Yeah, the car wasn't very nice then, to be honest. Uh, just not. Uh, balance didn't feel very nice. Um, yeah, we've done uh, only done a couple of days testing. It was really nice in testing, and uh, yeah, it was just very hard to drive. Yeah, so we'll have a, have a little look. Uh, look where we need to be with it. Yeah, okay. It doesn't help that these guys have had to pull you in for a weight check. Yeah, that's yeah, part it's of one it, of those so things. Yeah. But, but no, the, car, the, the car's new. It's uh, new to us. It's a um, an original race car that we've rebuilt over the last couple of years. So uh, it's its first revival here. So um, I'd be naive if I thought we were going to come and challenge for pole on the first time. But uh, well, yeah, we've still got work to do. Been on pole and have won this race. Yeah, many years ago. Yeah, many, many years ago. So uh, I think Cobras are still the cars to beat. So uh, we'll keep working at it and, uh, and go from there. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Not every day does one go to the circus. Unfortunately, there aren't enough of them these days. But to come to Goodwood Revival and find a circus ring, complete with sand and likely-looking young ladies and clowns. And I'm talking to the organiser of all of this. The ringmaster, yes indeed sir, the ringmaster of the greatest show on earth. We've got one o'clock this afternoon, jugglers, a strong man, and we've got a sword swallower. Later on today we've got a fire eater, but we've got the Richmond Follies, the dancers as well, and our clowns on the greatest show on earth. That's really spectacular. I noticed when we came past earlier, you had a huge crowd here. We're drawing the crowds today, sir. It's going to be magnificent. Every show is a sellout because it's the greatest show on earth. And it's free. And it's free. One of the uh, possibly rarest cars here, the Lancia D50. And I believe that this is, well, one of very few that are survivors. I'm talking to your name, sir. George McDonald from Holland Hall. Saying this is one of two? I honestly don't know how many there are. This is a recreation 
that, but it's been about a long time. It was built in like the 80s with the current owner for the last 10 years or so. Belongs to an American guy. Very brave to drive something that had fuel tanks both sides. Absolutely. Well, we, nowadays we only actually run one side, so we tell them to if they're going to have an accident, make sure they park it in the right-hand side. Very impressive motor car. All credit to, well, UK's leading restorer, all in all. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. This is the first car that went over 200 miles an hour. My name is Ian Robinson. I'm a volunteer at the National Motor Museum. At Bewley, where this car is kept, it's the 1,000 horsepower Sunbeam. It broke the world's land speed record in 1927 with Henry Seagrave. It's the first car to exceed 200 miles an hour on land. So what we're doing with it at the moment is um, we're a, a couple of years into a major restoration project to return it to working order. It'll be the first time the car will have run since 1927 with the target of taking it back to Daytona Beach on the 29th of March 2027 which is the centenary of its record. Brilliant, well I, I wish you every success with that so uh, you're fundraising seriously and that's the point of being here. Well we are fundraising seriously, we're also taking the car to various UK venues, it's going up to the National Classic Motor Show at the NEC in November and the Black Country Museum uh, for the week before that show as well which is close to where it was built in Wolverhampton. One of the great things about taking it to shows is you meet people whose families are often associated with it and particularly the Wolverhampton connection which is something which we're developing at the moment. For instance we had someone come up to us yesterday who's from Red Bull Racing and one of their apprentices at Milton Keynes, his grandfather was an engineer on this car. So you've got connection from a car built nearly 100 years ago to modern Formula One and that's incredible. So the more stories we can find like that, the better it will be. Well, thank you. I wish you every success with the project. So uh, 2027 is what we've got to look out for. Yeah. And Daytona Beach. It is. Well, uh, keep in touch with us. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I'm in the collecting area with Johnny Herbert. I'm going to accuse you of a crime, if you That's like. That's quite OK. You can accuse as much as you like, but go on. <laughs> go for it. I want to blame you for the two black eyes that I got. Yeah. When you took me round here some years ago in a in the 57 Le Mans winning D-type. Yeah. And we both got into trouble because I only have an open face helmet. Yes. And we were both told we should have had full face. Right. But okay. nevertheless, I have to say I enjoyed the ride. Then I then I'm guilty. Guilty as as uh, served. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It was good. It's good times. It was a fabulous ride. It was one of the, one of those days when. Uh, well, they bring people like you in, yeah. uh, enthusiasts, fans, sure. as, as you still are, of course, sure. and uh, let them loose on all these fabulous cars. And that was a fabulous car. Yeah, indeed it was. And it's, it's, I'm, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to drive some real proper classic cars that have had some wonderful race wins, uh, and that, especially the D-Type when I drove that uh, 1955 Mike Hawthorne car. Just something very special. I drove, you know, very luckily this weekend. Some Lotus, old Lotuses as well. 70, 78, 79 Marandretti when he won the World Championship. Uh, the Jet car uh, as well. I've driven before. So, yeah, so you're very, very, I'm very fortunate I've been able to have sort of a varied sort of feel of what actually was happening at the time in that period and what the drivers felt as well. It, it, it all comes down in the end to being fans because the guys like you, like I, that have been here forever yeah. uh, are, are here because we're fans. Yeah. 
and I was talking to one or two of the touring car guys yesterday and they were saying the same thing. Didn't quite get old cars until they came here and then they realised what a lot of fun it was. Yeah, again, they are quite... Again, for me, the touring car guys probably get away with it a bit more because their cars sort of float around a little bit more but everything I've done from Formula 1 to sports cars and even the GTs are pretty stuck, stuck down. These things aren't stuck down at all. They're sort of floating around on the surface. So, so it takes a bit of time to sort of adjust to them. But once you get there, you know, you again, going back to, to that period, you know, they were driven right on the very, very edge and they were pretty much controllable. When you sort of try and get to exactly that same situation that they were driving and you get that feedback from the car as well in a very, very different way, but it's nice. As they, they say, there were guys in those days that had big equipment. Oh yes, indeed, and you you had to. I think I think all the way through you've had to have you know a, a little bit of that because you know you've got to push yourself to the to the very very edge, and it's those sort of strong mental ones that can get the best out of it. And you know you talk about talk about that, and the man who's doing that at the moment is someone like Max Verstappen. You know they just raise the bar, and we'll see someone better than Max in the future. It's amazing how that just keeps rising, rising uh, above everybody else, and they just show that you know they've got something, something special and something different. Yeah, something very special. Are you enjoying your TV career now, though? Uh, well, I was. I'm not doing that anymore, unfortunately. That all stopped uh, at the end of last year. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's good fun. It's nice doing this little chat like this as well, which is which is which is good. But it's very important as well. You know, as you know, we're very lucky coming here that we've got a lot of fans on the outside but actually can get quite close to the cars but yeah. also to the to the drivers that all turn up as well so one of the beauties of this place thank you johnny for your time uh, i'm very glad that i found the guilty party in that little crime <laughs> that we mentioned uh, but it's nice to talk to you again thank you you too enjoy I the rest of your weekend <laughs> yeah, yeah no problem at all i apologize no i don't apologize no, 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 no. <laughs> that was then this is <laughs> indeed Well, there we go. We always kind of take the Mickey out of Graham for his uh, his repeated clangingy name dropping. Clang. To, uh, to class Johnny Herbert as your personal chauffeur is pretty clangy when it comes to clangy clangs, isn't it? I mean, that's that's not too bad. But what a uh, what a chauffeur to have! But uh, what a lovely bloke more than anything. He's just the uh, I think he's in a way he's the epitome of of Goodwood, really, isn't he? He's just cheeky and happy and gets on with it and just just seemed utterly honoured to uh, to be there but I think that's that's what gets me about Goodwood is lots of the drivers seem to to treat it as as an honour as a privilege as a as a great day out and and they just realise how lucky they are to be there and it's it's one of those I think it's quite a humbling experience for a lot of drivers and it's it's a great leveller as well because they're in and out of all sorts of cars and uh, the circuit might look at well, Gates and I have said before with our uh, our track days. Well, it looks quite simple on paper, doesn't it? It's quite an open squiggle with not a lot going on, but actually, it's quite challenging. And uh, and as a few drivers found out, it doesn't half bite you if it wants to, doesn't it? Mm. Oh, well, no it, it always did. <laughs> no pheasants, no lizards, <laughs> no dogs, which they have had in the past. But um, coming back to what you were saying, Jim, it's a place that a lot of guys just come back to over and over and over again because they really enjoy doing it. And all right, a lot of them are there to meet their mates and so on. But uh, I think one year I, I sort of counted up the number of races won in all championships by the competing drivers because 
you've got so many F1 drivers. There were so many people there that, that have won Le Mans. And, you know, all, any imaginable, I think there's, I can't remember his name for the moment, but one of the guys that won the last, Targa Florio. And he's still racing and still enjoying his racing. It's just amazing that, that all those people are back there for the entertainment. So this year, I actually managed to see rather more racing than usual. I particularly enjoyed the... Um, the Formula 2, the Formula Junior race, mm. because those things, they're just buzzing around and it's battles all up and down the field. So, you know, that's a spectacular race. And watching the Cobras come through, you know, I was stationing myself down near the, um, the chicane and watching the Cobras come through there, it's just awesome. So, you know, the whole Shelby recreation thing was uh, was a brilliant race. Brilliant idea. I have to say, if you've not heard a load of Cobras come past you trackside, they are loud. They're loud. And if you if you one drives past you in the streets and it's loud, standing on the pit wall as one of those comes past you, good God, is it loud. And if three or four or five or ten of them come past you, one year I had, when I was broken with something else, something went wrong with my hearing, and they Don't all like came it. past, it fixed my hearing. So I, I have my, my hearing back properly to a whole batch of those coming flying past, but they are unbelievably loud, really loud. And it, you can feel them, can't you? It's more than just hearing them go past. You no, can feel they them thunder. approach. They do. They really do. And you can feel it in your chest. It's incredible. It's rolling thunder. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. Mm. I mean, as far as, as far as the sound goes, yes, they are very, very loud. But, of course, they have to keep within the uh, planning requirements. You know, I, I can't remember what the decibel limit is, but they all seem to be very loud and way above that to me. But I think the loudest I've ever heard was the Ferrari V12 standing mm. on the pit counter at Silverstone sometime in the 80s. And just an amazing noise. Mm. You never forget it. It puts it into perspective every time we take our uh, little Fiestron track and go and get it noise tested. And we think, oh, are we going to be okay? <laughs> are we going to pass? Yes, we are definitely going to pass is uh, is normally the answer for it. But I think just in the odd race, I was looking, thinking how uh, how the Fiesta would get on. So I think there were a few sort of classes that were doing similar lap times to ours. And I thought it would be, be quite entertaining just to drop the Fiesta into the middle of that and see how it got on. But I think it would look quite big compared to a lot of cars. I mean, the, uh, mm. the Fiesta compared to most modern cars is quite small. So it would be, uh, be odd to see that thundering around the track. But although I... I was on track apparently i was watching the footage and then was quite surprised to hear myself get name checked as uh, as being at the wheel of one of the cars that caught me by surprise because i was i was sat at work watching it at the time but i thought if uh, if graham's uh, invitation doesn't get extended to myself next year i might just put on the race suit that's got my name on it and then sort of rock up at the driver's club in a bit of a rush, claim that I've lost my pass, but look, there I am on the entry list, please let me in and uh, and just sort of sit in the driver's club for the afternoon. I think that's a plan. I'm sure people do actually do that. And I, I think it, <laughs> it, it is still possible that people actually do get through the gates. There's very well-meaning people everywhere checking your passes. Best value of all is probably the car park where you don't even have to pay to go in. So you, you go in the public car mm. park and then you can wander at your leisure through the 60s car park, or 50s, 60s, 40s. You know, cars of every era because uh, there are special car parking areas for those cars. And it's just a great classic car show. It's brilliant. From all over Europe as well. Yeah, exactly so. One of our colleagues actually used to uh, take his kids along for that. They'd pack up a picnic and then just go and, and wander around the um, the car parks. And it's the same for Festival of Speed. Uh, and if you've not been, you could dedicate a fair bit of time to just wandering up and going, I haven't seen one of those. Oh, that's worth £3 million. Or whatever it might be. And they'll just 
parked next to each other and you can just wander around and have a look and sometimes it's it's something really exotic sometimes it's a uh it's just a curio isn't it i think we saw a um what was the bmw with the doors that went down inside is it the z1 one yeah well this sort of retracted underneath keeps coming up on cardle doesn't it the z1 yeah and we saw some really interesting stuff just stuff that you don't really see every day and if you had a ticket for goodwood you could go in on one day and then come the next day and just yeah walk around the car park stuff that you wouldn't necessarily even see in this country so if you want to come and see your donkavort or whatever it might be people have driven across from all over europe you can see some really interesting things. You really do. And and people are generally really friendly because they're all car people as well. So I seem to remember going one year and uh, and having a bit of a climb and, and a few pictures in a DeLorean because the guy saw I was interested in it. And I remember uh, just stopping having a chat. And he's saying, I said, oh, yeah, how do you... Because people must just touch this constantly. Said, yes. How do you clean it? So just you put one finger up in the air, looked at me and just went, one moment, popped open the, uh, the, the fruit or frunk, pulled out some... Uh, some wire wool, and then just scraped it down the side of the car. <laughs> but he said that that's that's basically how you clean it. Oh my god! Oh, that's that's a bit drastic. Yeah, and he's just down. <laughs> oh my god! That looked that looked terrific. But but the point is, yes, there's there's lots to do. Whether you're in Goodwood and you go for the racing, which of course you've managed to enjoy, I've managed to enjoy mostly whilst at home watching it. Whether you go for the over the road bit, where you have all the traders, you have interesting people that are painting things making things building things or what have you there was a circus this year as we obviously heard and uh whether you go for just the fashion there's there's lots to do at revival it's something that you don't need to go just because you're into cars you can take the whole family along and pretty much everyone can enjoy i think well we quite enjoyed the fun fair because uh grandson was with us on one of the days and i got talking to some of the ride owners who it turned out were all related to each other and uh, on the Dodgems, the guy I was talking to on the Dodgems, they'd, they'd had that for three generations. It was really, really ancient Dodgems. That's pretty cool. Swing boats and all kinds of stuff. You know, this is stuff from the late 1900s, early part of the 20th century. I was just thinking of, uh, of something that we could do. And I'm, I'm sure that, Graham, with your connections, we could probably get permission for this. So we, where you have the 60s and, and, and before car park, we have all the cars there. It'd be quite nice to see these go around in some sort of fashion. So we could have a sort of UK motor talk parade track. And I was just trying to think of, in my mind, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of gone off the tangent enough. I was trying to think of names for the various different bits of it. But you could have something like Graham Benj, put a D mm-hmm. in the Benj, just, just on you know, one of the corners or something, perhaps. But if you've got ideas of what we could do for this, send us names for what you think we could call some of the straights and corners. I'd be interested. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. But it would be quite nice to see some of these cars driving round. Because the thing is, when you stand at the side of a road now, modern cars make next to no noise. Yeah. Whether they're electric or petrol or whatever, you might think it makes a fantastic noise, but probably it's just piped into the cabin. And really what everyone else can hear is, and that's pretty much it. Just the sound of, of air coming out of your nostril. But when anything from the 70s, 80s, 60s, 50s drives past you, they all sound different. It's quite interesting just hearing them go by. I, I mean, it was one of the things of, of even driving to the event, seeing the number of plates going past and hearing some uh, very interesting sporting cars exhausts as as they went by you because we were taking it fairly easy. But uh, just a delight to uh, see all those old cars. I mean, it's a celebration of 25 years of the revival. 
and I've been to everyone, and 30 years of the Festival of Speed, and I've been to everyone, and 75 years of the circuit, and no, I haven't been to everyone. <laughs> I'm, yes, I missed the first, almost I missed the, th- the first 40 years or so, perhaps, but um, but it feels like I've been there a very long time. But then I did used to race there in the 80s, and Marshall there in the 80s. And does everybody know that Derek Bell, of course, started his racing career as a Marshall with Bogner Motor Club? And Bogner Motor Club still provide a lot of the marshals for both the Festival of Speed and the Revival. My friend and his son both marshals, actually, at um, Goodwood. And it's, it's really important. I think, I'm sure we've said it before, but we're quite happy to say it again. It is such an important job that the marshals do. Uh, a lot of the time for completely free as a, uh, as, as a voluntary service. And at times probably isn't the most interesting thing to do in the world, watching people tool around. Other times, obviously, it's really interesting, but it's also very dangerous. They are the first people on the scene. They are stood right at the edge of the circuit and they do put themselves in, in danger by being where they are. Yes, they get a great view, but it is a fantastic thing that they do. And, and because they are there to marshal and because they're there to help, and because they do do what they do, it means that we can get out there and we can enjoy motorsport and, and motor yeah, circus yeah. in the way that we do. So well said. thank you, Marshalls, because it really is important. Yeah, I think we said just on the uh, on the last cool down lap at Brands Hatch when we did the uh, the evening there, didn't we? And we'd, uh, we'd driven around and there was a, a few cars had lost a bit of cool and, and a bit of oil, so we were sort of slip sliding around the track as the sun went down. And we thought, hey, what a place this is just as the sun's going down. Uh, but then yeah. B again, yeah, on on the cool down lap was give a uh, give a flash of the headlights and a wave to the marshals and uh, and thank them for it because again yeah. it's you know just there's there were what five six seven of them dotted around the circuit and more in and out and at the end of the pit lane and they're all just there so we can enjoy you know bombing around the track and and having fun with it and like you say if everything goes wrong they're the first ones to to jump in and grab you out of there so uh, yeah thank you. All, all entirely voluntary, and they're doing yeah. sort of 12, 14-hour shifts, unpaid just for the love of it. And it was, I mean, the day that we went to Brands, it was unbelievably hot. It was so hot, in fact, that we had to sit in the support car with the aircon on at times because it was ridiculously hot. And when a Mini dropped everything, every kind of fluid, it was kind of like me on Monday, down the full <laughs> length of the straight at Brands Hatch and into Paddock Hill Bend. They were all out there, weren't they? Everybody came back, all the staff pitched in, the cement dust was down and they were there, all of them working like absolute crazy to try and get the track back open for everyone so we could go out and enjoy the rest of our evening. Yeah, the uh, the guy who'd done the briefing who was there in his black shoes and black trousers and black shirt came back looking rather dusty, didn't he? But he did. I'll tell you what, uh, two bits of uh, of news from there. A, as we were ploughing through the cement dust and, uh, and you could see a few cars in front, I said, oh, that's going to look spectacular in the photos. And it did. Uh, but second of all, I'm very excited and I'm really, really happy as, uh, as MSVT. I hope you can't see that in the photos. <laughs> MSVT uh, emailed me after the track day as they, uh, as they normally do to say the photographs are up online. Do, uh, do go and have a look at them. I am very happy to report that for that particular evening, the Fiesta landed in the race car category. Yes! So I'm very pleased about that. It's, <laughs> it's normally in the silver car category because it is predominantly silver. But uh, yes, for that evening, it was race car. So I'm I'm really, really happy. Mm. I overheard someone referring to our car on the showroom today as a touring car, which I thought was quite interesting. 
Oh, that'll do. We'll uh, we'll take that. That's fairly good. I think, yeah, our showroom that's currently full of a uh, Torneo Connect or a Torino, as uh, lots of people seem to keep calling it. And then I say, do you mean a Torneo? And they say, no, a Torino. Uh, that, that went out to production a while ago. So actually, I'm, I think I might. We, we were talking about the showroom, what to fill it up with, and we thought some old uh, appreciating classic cars. So actually, should we, should we go out and buy a, a Torino and mm. uh, put that in the showroom so when people phone up, we can say, Yes, we have one. Come and have a look at it. It would be the whole showroom. Torino's a massive. We've got the Fiesta and a Lambretta Scudra at the moment, haven't we, in the showroom? So we've mainly just got vehicles that are leaking fluids onto the tiles. But it's uh, it's okay, isn't it? It is. If you're going to get a Torino, though, you have to get the American Torino. And everybody yes. can practice their Starsky and Hutch pole vault over the bonnet. Oh, that's exactly what it would be used for. Oh, yes. That's it. There was, there was a guy that had one of those over in Seaford. I remember driving past and seeing it on the driveway. Uh, it was right on the corner of a tight right hand on the way into Seaford. If you if you know that road, you know where I, where I mean. The Seaford S's, as I've called yeah. them, it is yeah. it is pretty much Eau Rouge, but you don't have to drive to Belgium <laughs> to do it. It is a recreation of Eau Rouge. That is a spectacular corner. Much like where you come down from uh, what we used to call Snaky Hill. I don't know if, what what the non locals call it from the top end of Eastbourne. If you go up round past Belltooth and um, and Beachy oh, Head, right. and then head down in towards yes. the town. That, that is a great bit of road. In fact, and please don't just flood this road now. It is a superb driving road. Head down towards Eastbourne. Make sure you head up towards, uh, I think the, it's probably signposted Seven Sisters Country Park, the first part of it. But then later on, make your way across towards Beachy Head, all the way across from Beachy Head, down round and into Eastbourne and then along the seafront. Because why not treat yourself whilst you're there? Stop, have a nice cream. It's a fabulous nice. road, that that one. It is. Yeah, it really is. It's rather better than the straightforward East Dean direct route, which is um, deadly if you're driving an Arctic with failed brakes. It's one of the few places in southern England that I can think of that's got a, a shingle bed to arrest runaway lorries. Yes, the escape lane. Mm. Yeah. I don't know about you, but every time I see one of those, I feel a little bit tempted to try it. I don't know. Uh, I know it, it would be a terrible thing to do, and but the, the moment you're in it, you'd be bed, embedded in it, and that would be the end of it. But every time I see one, it's like when you see a big red button. It says "Don't push." I see it, and I think I just just want to see what would happen if I went into that, apart from ruining my entire car. I think you're in top gear territory now. Well, I'll tell you what. For for our next UK mode to talk day out, should we just go to a uh, a national car rental company, pay the. Uh, the £10, £15 a day collision damage waiver excess, whatever it is, and just go and get a load of, I don't know, what should we do, Nissan cash guys? I feel like the cash guy needs to be punished as a rule. So should we just get a load of cash guys and try it and see what happens? And for more terrible advice, tune into our next podcast <laughs> where we, we, we'll cover breaking and entering. Um, maybe not. Uh, maybe what we could do is we could go out and we could buy some very cheap cars and we could do that with it. I get the feeling That's that... That's probably uh, more responsible, yes. It is. Do you remember I bought a uh, a Renault Megane some years ago? It was top spec, one owner, two litre, full leather, pan roof, CD changer, air conditioning. No, climate control. It was a top spec jobby for, I think, £100 because I, we needed a car. I, I wanted a car to scrap on the scrappage scheme and wanted to make sure I owned it long enough. And we were thinking of inventive ways to kill that. That's the perfect car for that kind of thing. It was a horrible. Is that the, is that the one you sold thing. to your neighbour and it's still running? Oh, gee, it haunts me this thing. So I bought it, didn't look at it because I just needed a car and it was incredibly cheap. And we figured what we would do at the end of it is just for fun, drive it at speed into a wall or something because it just needed to be scrapped. So that's all we needed to do with it. 
let's find an inventive way to kill it. Whatever we do with it, fill the engine up with sand, whatever it might be. And I took it home one day. I can't even remember why. In fact, I didn't take it home. That's a complete lie. I stuck it in the compound at work. And my next door neighbor's car failed its MOT or died. And he told me about it. I said, look, I've got a car which, frankly, it doesn't matter what you do to it. If you want to borrow it, borrow it. It doesn't matter if you smash it up. Whatever happens to it, I don't really care. Just need a bit of scrap it when you're finished with it. Okay, he said. And he got it. I can't remember what he had at the time. It was something like a, a C4. What, was it C4 Picasso, the MPV? Quite funky looking, but quite <laughs> dreary to drive. Yeah. One has yeah. quite a funky steering wheel with a centre stays there. Funky in the same way that syphilis is a funky disease. Well, I suppose so, if that's what you're into. Um, I, I, I some, somehow I lost my train of thought there. Goodness knows why. Oh, what a surprise. Um, what a surprise. Um, but yes, the, he failed its MOT, and so he borrowed this thing and decided he quite liked it. And so bought it from me. And then I had to look at it and he kept it for ages. I think he put it through an MOT, so had it for more than a year. This thing, it was dragging its back wheels along, you know, hoping to die. This this poor, terrible beige McGann with a really grubby leather interior with a split seat and stuff on it. And he sold it to someone else. And then it somehow survived for another two years locally. So I had to see this poor beleaguered thing dragging itself around the local neighbourhood. And every time I saw it, I thought... I should have just just killed it, but yes, it's, this thing followed me around, and it. it I, I might even Joe. You know, whilst we're here, I'm going to Google it now and just see whether it still exists. It wasn't perhaps called Christine, was it? Oh God, it. it Chris, Christine was a beautiful car, at least. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, what was it? Plymouth a, a psychopath. Fury, I think it was. Yes, I think you're right. I've just I've typed it. I thought I'd had the red thing, but no, I've got it wrong. That was a Ford Ka, which is also dead. I will find out. Remind me and I'll come back to you next podcast and we can decide whether the Renault's there. How about that for a cliffhanger? <laughs> and I guess on that note, it's probably time for us to end. I think it probably is. So from me, Mike, goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Drive safely. From me, Graham, it's goodbye. Look after yourselves. And join us next time when we'll be driving a whole host of other cars at the SMMT Day, which this time is pretty local to us, which we're quite excited about. Not excited because it's local, we're excited because we get to drive all the cars. So we've been UK Motor Talk. Thanks for listening and remember to follow us everywhere you can. We are at UK Motor Talk and find us on YouTube where we are also, guess what, at UK Motor Talk. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Oh, no, wait, stop, stop the music. I've just remembered the registration number and I've plugged it in and it's dead. It's died finally, but the Renault is gone. It's no longer us, no longer just making the area look worse. Bye, Renault. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production. <laughs>